Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Take your Bibles as you're standing and turn with me to Mark 11, 12 through 26. We're reading from the New International Version. Let's read the Word of the Lord together, starting at verse 12 of Luke 11. Excuse me, not Luke, Mark 11. Everybody say, Mark 11. All right, we're on the right page. Verse 12. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Everybody say, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city in the morning. As they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots, and Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Everybody say the next phrase with me out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And other manuscripts also have these words, but if you do not forgive, Neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your sins. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word and the privilege you've given me to share it with your people today. We thank you for the hundreds of people that have sat under your word today in this church. We thank you for what you're doing through KC to touch not only our state, but the entire nation and many nations of the world. And I pray, O God, that as I preach this word, your word will become life to your people. I pray, O God, you will anoint me. Come on, people, let's pray in the Holy Ghost. I pray for an unction from the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, come upon me. Use me to be able to speak life to your people. And I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice that they'll have ears to hear, a heart to respond, eyes to see. And that when we leave here today, we will leave knowing we've been changed by your word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. If you've been in this church for a very long time, you know that this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because it's a passage on faith. And I preached, oh, uh, about two or three months ago, a couple, uh, a message entitled, empowered by faith, and I drew reference to this particular passage. In fact, I shared the story of a tanner in Egypt 
when Egypt had been taken over by the Muslims, and there was an attempt on the part of the Muslim ruler to kill uh, over 100,000 Christians in Cairo. And uh, he used this passage to say that uh, you must not uh, believe the word because you haven't moved a mountain. And so he put a, he had a, a contest, if you will. He said, look, if, if you can find anybody that can move a mountain from here to there by praying, uh, I'll let you live. But if not, I'm going to kill you all. Well, there was this one tanner in Egypt. He's the saint of Egypt today. And uh, he prayed, and God literally moved that mountain. It was a part of history. It was amazing. Moved it from one space to the very place where that caliph wanted it moved. And so it has a very special place, not only for me, but it has a special place among many nations, especially the nation of Egypt, as they celebrate that particular man and his faith. But one of the most powerful principles of my life came out of this passage. I was reading my mom's Bible, and she had in the side note of their Bible in this particular passage these words, and it became a principle that I've lived my life by. Here's what it said. Desire plus faith minus doubt equals a miracle. Say it with me. Desire plus faith minus doubt equals a miracle. Everything you see around you has come that way. God puts a desire in my heart. I begin to pray. I begin to believe. I take action, which is what faith is. You take action toward it, and you don't doubt, and you have the miracle. That's what this. That's how this building came about. That's how all the buildings have come about. Everything that's happened in this church has come about through that one principle of faith. But I'm not going to preach on that today. It's a powerful message. But I am going to preach on something that I believe God wants to say to us today. And at a look at this text, we see Jesus doing an object lesson, an illustrated sermon. And it's something that all of us must be doing. And you know what it is? It's bearing fruit. Turn to your neighbor and say, bear good fruit. So let's talk about that today. Last time we looked at this text, which was Sunday night, you'll notice that Jesus had entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He'd been declared as the Messiah. And um, he first thing he did when he got to Jerusalem is that he looked at the state of his father's house, the temple. Then he went out that evening, stayed in Bethany. And so he stayed probably at the house of Lazarus, whose sisters were Mary and Martha. They lived in Bethany, which was about a a mile away from Jerusalem. And so he was walking back to Jerusalem on the next day in the morning. And on their way to Jerusalem, he decides he's going to teach his disciples by giving them an object lesson. And uh, the type of teaching he was about to give them was what's called prophetic realism. Everybody say prophetic realism. Write it in your notes. It's an important thought. And that is when a prophet would do something to stimulate his students' curiosity and therefore position them to receive the teaching. And that's exactly what Jesus does. In fact, he's hungry, so he goes to a fig tree. It had a lot of leaves, but when he gets there, there's no fruit, not even the little nubbins that many people would eat. There was nothing on it. And um, Jesus says... uh, speaks to that tree. But before he speaks to that tree, 
you know that Mark is telling us that this is a teaching because it says, Mark says, it was not the season for figs. What Mark was doing was letting us know Jesus' action was to teach his disciples something. The issue wasn't whether it was the season for figs or not. It was that God was going to use this tree that bore no fruit as an object lesson for something that was severely important, extremely important for his disciples. So he comes to that tree, since there was nothing on it, he says to that tree, "May it's a fig tree. So write in your notes, it's a fig tree. He said, not finding any figs on the tree, he, and only leaves, he speaks to the tree, and he says, may no one ever eat from you again. Now, what is interesting is some scholars have suggested that Jesus was looking for the unripe figs, those little buds, Uh, which would grow into figs, but there was no fruit at all on it. In fact, what he did was actually fulfilling a prophetic word from Micah, the Old Testament prophet Micah, in chapter 7, and you can read it in verses 1 through 6. Let me just read a small portion. I'm like the one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat. None of the early figs that I crave. So literally, the prophet Micah was proclaiming there would come a moment when Messiah would come to a fig tree and there were nothing on the fig tree, not even the unripe fruit that so many craved. Well, Jesus goes into Jerusalem and what he does, now this is very, very important, he cleanses the temple. By driving out the money changers and by driving out those who were selling sacrifices in the temple. Now, let's stop here for a moment, because if you didn't know how the temple was structured and what was going on there, this would be a hard passage to understand. Number one, when people came to give their sacrifice, it had to be inspected. And if there was any blemish, they weren't allowed to give that sacrifice, and then they would have to buy it from the sacrifice seller. So you can imagine how easy it would be for some sacrifice seller not to give uh, approval to that sacrifice so they could sell them their sacrifice. And that was going on. Secondly, you'll notice that because everyone had to pay a temple tax, that temple tax was given. In other words, you had to pay the tax by a special coin. In fact, when I was in Israel one year, I even bought the genuine real coin. I was going to show it today, but it's pretty small. You wouldn't see it anyway, so it didn't matter. But it's a coin, and the reason why you couldn't pay in normal money, it's because in the Roman Empire, Caesar had his face on all those coins. And they didn't want anything to go into the temple with Caesar's face on it. So they had a special coin struck. But now here's the problem. If you're going into the temple and you're coming from a particular land, let's say Egypt or somewhere else, and they had various coinage, you'd have to get your coins exchanged into the value of that one coin that you were going to pay as a temple tax. It was rife for theft because somebody could say, oh, the exchange rate just changed today, and now it's this much. So you had a lot of things happening there that could very well have been an abuse to these people who had come to worship, and Jesus saw that. But there was something else that you need to understand about the temple, and that is that 
The temple itself was divided into four basic courts. So keep this in your mind how this worked. For example, there was the outer court where was the place for the Gentiles. The Gentiles could come and worship at the temple in Jerusalem, but they had to stay in that outer court. In fact, there was a sign written in two languages, in Latin and Greek, that said, if you go beyond this point, you will die. They'll actually kill you. That was the way it worked. It was a sign. They found those signs. We have them in museums today. It was on the wall. Now, they were in the Gentile court. If they moved beyond that, that was the court of the women. The women alone could go in there. And then beyond that was the court of Israel or the court of the Jewish men. And then the innermost court was for the priests. And you know that the priests had the place where the uh, brazen altar was. It was the place where you went in and there was the uh, uh, holy place. And then, of course, the Holy of Holies, where once a year the high priest would go and he would sprinkle blood, the blood of the atoning sacrifice on the mercy seat. And he alone would be the one who could enter that space once a year on the Day of Atonement. So that was the temple. So what the sad thing was was because they wanted to get maximum profits and they wanted to, of course, make it very convenient for people to buy and, and change their money, they literally set up shop in the court of the Gentiles. So what they were doing, they were robbing the Gentiles of a place to pray. And Jesus got mad. He turned over the tables, drove them out, said, my house would be a house of prayer for all nations. In fact, Jesus was teaching about the temple that day, and he quoted Isaiah 56, 7, which said, for my house shall be a house called a house of prayer for all nations. He also quoted Jeremiah 7, 11, has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. In fact, that's why the day before Jesus went and he looked at the temple, he was fulfilling that promise from Jeremiah that the Messiah would come and see his temple and clean it. Wow. Well, his teaching and cleansing of the temple were like a slap in the face for the religious leaders, the priests and the and the scribes, because you see, they were the ones who set up the markets, and they were making a profit from the markets. They were given franchises, if you will. And so they wanted to kill Jesus, but the only reason they were prevented, and you can write that in your notes, was that they were afraid of the people, that the people would riot if they arrested Jesus. But you'll notice Mark is setting us up for what is about to happen by the end of that week. Jesus will die in our place for our sin. Well, the next day, of course, at the end of the day, they left and went out to Bethany again. And the next day, we see that they're coming back to Jerusalem. And when they come back, Peter comments on the tree. It had already dried up. In one 24-hour period, that tree had dried up so greatly that the actual uh, tree had come out of the ground and the roots were literally dried up and curled over. Wow. And you say, well, pastor, what does that fig tree have to do with the cleansing of the temple? Everything. Because the fig tree is a picture of the Jews, Jewish people, and, the, and Jesus cleaning the temple 
and the cursing of the trig tree are all tied together. You see, the temple was the center of worship for the Jewish people. And yet, instead of being a place of prayer, it was a place that had become a den of robbers. Instead of it bearing fruit, good fruit as it was supposed to, it was just religiosity. It was just leaves with no fruit. And Jesus was saying what Jeremiah stated in Jeremiah 8, 13, there will be no figs on the tree and their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. Literally, Jesus, by cursing the fig tree, and the fig tree was a symbol of Israel, he was saying that ultimately the temple will be destroyed just as the a fruitless tree was destroyed. It was a prophetic act that was going to happen, and it happened exactly that way. Uh, the Romans came in and destroyed that temple, and the people were displaced, and uh, that happened all the way until, our, uh, until uh, 1948 when uh, the Jews came back to their homeland. That's a long, long time, almost 2,000 years. They were taken out of their land. Now listen to me. This is very, very, very important. Their problem was their faith. And that's why when Peter referred to that fig tree all withered up, Jesus said, I've had faith in God. You say, what in the world is Jesus saying have faith in God over a withered fig tree? It's because the reason it was withered is the reason why the temple will be destroyed. They lost their faith in God. They had all the, all the, all the trappings of religiosity. They had all the things that sounded like religion, true religion, but they had show, but no true faith. They had show, but no true faith. Religion, but no power. In fact, Paul writes that they had a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. Listen to me. Everybody listen. That could be the very epitaph of our lives if we're not careful. We can go through the motions. We can say the amen at the right time and the right hallelujah. And we can, we can do the kind of religious things, but the problem isn't that. The problem is, do we really have genuine faith in God? Do we really trust him for our lives? Is Jesus truly our Lord and Savior? And that's the issue that's before us today, because God is speaking to us. Are we bearing good fruit or are we just religious? There's a lot of religious people. Religion is really a part of our fallen human nature. We all have a sense that there's something greater than us. So religion is a part of humanity's reality. The issue isn't religion. The issue is do you have a vital, vibrant relationship with the living God through faith in him? You see, you can be mean at home. You can be angry. You can be bitter. You can be greedy and lustful. And you can put on a religious veneer and nobody knows, but your family knows. People who work with you know. But you can come here and I wouldn't know. I look at you unless the Holy Spirit gives me a word of knowledge and you don't want that to happen. I come up to you and say, this is what you're doing. <laughs> nobody will know because you got your religiosity. You go to church, you Stand up, sit down, kneel. Stand up, sit down, kneel. Stand up, sit down, kneel. Go home. You did your thing. 
That's not what we're here for. We're here to bear fruit. Somebody say, we're here to do what? We're here to bear good fruit. In fact, Jesus calls us to be bearers of good fruit. Listen to what he says in Matthew 7, 15 and following. Through verse 19, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do, not, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree that bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Whether you realize it or not, we're all fruit inspectors. Our problem is we tend to look at other people's fruit and not our own. We can all criticize the neighbor next to us because they're not bearing good fruit. But the problem is we're supposed to be inspecting our own fruit. How are we doing? Now think about this for a moment. The Bible calls us, if we've received Christ, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. Now think about that. We're temples. What if Jesus visited our temple and looked at what we thought about, what we think about, what we are passionate about? If he looked at our habits and our attitude, what would he drive out? What would he find? That's a scary thought, but it's a thought all of us should have. Years ago, when I was in graduate school, one of the professors wrote a little booklet called uh, um, Christ, my, excuse, my Heart, Christ's Home, and tells about how Jesus comes into a person's life like he comes into a house, and he opens the closet, and all these things fall out, and, and we don't want him to go into that room, or we don't want him to go in that room. We kind of compartmentalize Jesus so that every, we just do our own little evil. So, but listen, Jesus is going to clean house. And he wants to clean house. And you want him to clean house. You don't want to stay the way you are. That brings me to the third thing. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, 19 through 25, shows the dif difference between good fruit and bad fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, as opposed to our, the fruit of the sinful nature. Everybody turn to that book of Galatians. It's just before the book of Ephesians. And Look at chapter 5 for a moment. Let me read it. It says, the acts, this is verse 17, or verse 19, excuse me, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot bear bad fruit and think you're going to heaven. But take a look at the next verse, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, oh, I love it, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Are you hearing me? That's the kind of fruit God wants to bear. So how are we doing? How are we doing in the area of love and Joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, Jesus, help me, Jesus. And fourthly, <clears throat> whether you know it or not, we're even going to be judged by our words. 
You know, in Matthew 12, verses 36 and 37, says, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word. None of this excuse my French nonsense. There will be no excuse for your French on. You know, you say that when you swear and do all this kind of nonsense. Every word you say, you will be held accountable for. Verse 37, for by the words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Well, shut my mouth. Are you hearing me? Some of you say stupid stuff, and you justify it by saying I'm angry. Well, get control of your mouth, because if you don't, what you say is going to affect you for all eternity. So I can't help myself. Well, I'll help you. I'll strap a bar of soap around your neck. Every time you say a stupid thing, just stick that suck on that soap. That'll help you. I'll tell you why. That'll help you. I had a guy who really obeyed me, and he had a bite out of his, out of his soap. <laughs> he showed me the bite out of his soap. I said, you're doing good. Praise God. So the first thing we notice is Jesus calls us to be bearers of good fruit. Secondly, we bear good fruit by doing God's will. Every, everyone say, by doing what? In Matthew 7, verse 21 and following, says, Not every man that crieth, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Some will say, well, look, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? He said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Why? Because all of that is wonderful But God, if God can use a donkey, he can use anybody. Are you hearing me? That's not the criteria by which you are bearing good fruit. Bearing good fruit is when you're doing what God says. Doing God's will is the key for answered prayer. In 1 John 3.22, it says, And we receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do whatever pleases him. Wow. You say, I don't get very answer to prayer. Then you better check on if you're obeying his commands in every area of your life. And are you pleasing him? Thirdly, we must have faith in God. That's why he responded, have faith in God. We can't please God without faith. And, um, you know, the temple had be, simply become a ritual place not a place of real faith. I don't want this church to ever be that way. I want you to be people of faith. I stretch you by encouraging to serve and give and pray and live holy. Why? Because I want you to be people of faith, putting your trust in God. You say, you mean you can do all that stuff? I can't do a single thing, but I have a God who can. Somebody say amen. And if I'm willing to seek his face and believe in him, he will do great things, not only through me, but through you. Everything in God starts with believing, putting our trust in Christ, then believing his promises and living a life of faith. I long to move in the dynamics of faith. You say, Pastor, you've been pastoring here for 40 years. What are you doing trying to buy more buildings, raising up more staff, starting more congregations? I'm living by faith. The moment I stop is the moment I shouldn't be around here. It's the same for you. What in the world are you doing? Come on, guys, listen. You're here to live by faith. Stretch. Do things you've never done before for God. Believe God for miracles. Oh, well, I'm just me, Pastor. 
No, God wants to use you. It may be you have to do a Sunday school class. Maybe open your heart home for a life group. Maybe you just help with the distribution of the food or be an usher or a greeter or some form of service or doing something that would say, I'm stretching my faith. I believe in God's going to use me. In fact, that little phrase, have faith in God, can be seen from two perspectives. When Jesus said, have faith in God, you can see it from man's perspective. That is, have the God kind of faith. That is belief that goes beyond doubt. And it continues to see it by the Spirit until you see it by your physical eyes. That is, you continue to believe and take action until what you see in your heart has been manifest. That's what's happened here. I saw this building long before this building was ever here. When it was a cane field, I saw this building. I reached my hand to it. I said, God, if you ever let me build a building on Maui, I want to build it right here. And every time I drive by that corner, I reach my hand out to this corner. And I said, oh, God, that's what. And I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. Everything in my life moved toward it. And you moved toward it with me. And together we did something that was beyond the natural into the realm of the supernatural. You don't have the largest church building in the state of Hawaii on a little island like this in the most prestigious corner of the entire island. It's only God that does that. But I'm trying to teach you something. That's the way God works. And on every occasion, that's the way he works. That's the God kind of faith. Paul talks about in Romans 4.17, the God who gives life to the dead and causes things that are not, calls things that are not as though they were. That is, before they're ever seen in the physical, God's called it forth. That's what he's asking us to do. In fact, when you read Habakkuk chapter 2, you might want to turn there. Habakkuk is just before the book of Zephaniah in the Old Testament, and it says, Write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. When God gives you a vision, he asks of you to just keep believing and move forward. But there's a second way you can look at that phrase, have faith in God. You can look at it from God's perspective. And that means that it's an exhortation declaring that man's faith is based on the faithfulness of God, upon God's character. That's why faith comes by hearing God's word. When you read God's word, when you listen to a message preached from God's word, it tells you about the power of God and you begin to believe God can do anything through me. God can work in my situation because it draws our attention to the faithfulness of God. God's been faithful to me. When I get into his word, that's why if you look at my Bible, it's all marked up. Oh, it's because when I read it, oh, God's talking to me. I go, whoa, that's good. I write it down. That's why faith comes. You get discouraged, just get your Bible open with a pen in hand. Take a little time to praise the Lord and then let the word begin to speak to you of the faithfulness of God. And by the time it's all done, you're going to go out of that place full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, and you're going to see miracles. Somebody say amen. But fourthly, we must pray in order to bear good fruit. Everybody say pray. 
I thank God that in 1984, my father joined my staff. He he only lived for two years here on Maui. He's buried here. But he started the early morning prayer meeting, and 36 years later, we're still praying every morning. You may not think it's significant, but I'm going to tell you what's happening right now. We'll have between, we'll have 70 to 80 people show up inside the prayer center. And then we have people praying by, by streaming every morning. And then we have people on their way to work listening to the radio station and praying in their car. Hopefully they won't run into somebody else as they're praying. But I'll, don't shut your eyes while you're praying and driving. But we've got hundreds of people praying every morning. Listen to me. Listen to me. You say, well, that's wonderful. No, 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 no. It's not wonderful. It's miraculous. It's glorious. It's marvelous. You say, I don't understand what you're talking about. Did you know that's the only reason we're still in business today? Just yesterday, I was talking to one of my pastors who lives in a state on the mainland, and he was sharing about that uh, within a 45-minute drive of his church, there was a real strong church in in a strong city. It was a big church. It kind of grown overnight, but there was one thing. That whole church no longer exists. It stopped its ministry a few weeks ago. Pastor got up and said, we're just no longer a church. And you know why it all collapsed, even though it was a large church? It's because there was no prayer. And the devil whacked them. And I mean whacked them hard. You listening to me? You get into your life a prayer time. It's the difference between bearing fruit and not bearing good fruit. It's the difference between being fruitful or being barren. Get it in your system. I thank God for the early morning prayer meeting. It forces me to get up every morning at 4 o'clock in the morning so I can get down here. I live, a long, I live as far away from this church as if I lived on the, on the west side in Kapalua. That's how far it is where I live in Olinda. I get up every morning and I'm down here to pray. Now listen to me. If I can do that and you're right next door to this church, you can get up at 5.30 and put some, get your regular clothes on, get out of your pajamas, get here by 6, at least pray with us for half an hour. Somebody say hallelujah. Give me a break. You say, well, that's not that important. Well, it'll be important someday. If you're getting whacked by the devil, I'm going to tell you something. You start making prayer your lifestyle. It's the way you bear good fruit. Please, I know what I'm talking about. I understand that everything we have here has been a gift from God because people prayed. And finally, we must forgive. It's very difficult for God to forgive us if we're not going to forgive others. God has no obligation to answer our prayer if we're not obeying his word. And one of the words that he gives us is that we must forgive. I can't forgive, Pastor been so deeply hurt. I understand. Maybe I don't understand the depth of your hurt, but I understand the fact that we live in a world where hurt takes place. But there's a God who cares for us and loves us, and he forgave us. And if he forgave us our sins, surely, he can help us to forgive others. I know it's not easy, but I thank God for Pastor Janelle doing that series on forgiveness, because if you grab onto that, your life will be changed. It really, really will. Well, that brings me then to some good news. Anybody want to hear some good news? All right, I got some people. I'll try it one more time. Anybody want to hear some good news? Oh, here's some real good news. We can. 
Listen to me. We don't have to be barren. We can bear good fruit. Say it with me. We don't have to be barren. That's why the title of this message is Barren No More. We don't have to be barren. We can bear good fruit. We must remain in Jesus. Jesus tells us this in John chapter 15. Turn there just for a moment. He says a powerful word. It's a wonderful, wonderful word found in verse 5 of John 15. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Wow. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Isn't that a marvelous promise? That's why you're here today. You could be anywhere else on Maui, going to the beach, playing golf, doing whatever. But you said, no, 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 no. I'm going to remain in the Lord. I'm going to be in the house of the Lord. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to honor him. Many of you will be in a life group. Some of you will be here tonight to hear Pastor Janelle. It's going to be powerful. You'll, you'll say, wow, yeah, I'm going to get into the house of the Lord. You'll be here Wednesday night. Why do you do that? It's because you're saying, I am connected to the Lord. And I want as much as I can get from him. Somebody say amen. It's a promise. If you remain in him, his words remain in you, you'll bear good fruit. Secondly, we have his promise that he chooses us. Wow, look at verse 16. He chooses us to bear good fruit. Verse 16 of John 15. Listen to this word. It's quite something. He says, look, he says, um, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. That fruit will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Come on, somebody. That's awesome. If you're bearing good fruit, there's a special relationship between you and your Father. My goodness, you can ask for whatever, and the Lord gives it. Because he can trust you with it. You're bearing good fruit. And finally... What is so amazing is that God has given us his wisdom in James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. But it says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, imparted and um, sincere, um, and peacemakers who sow peace raise a harvest of righteousness impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. If you seek the Lord for wisdom, he'll give you wisdom that will bear good fruit. And finally, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll bear good fruit in us just by staying filled with the Spirit. He'll give us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. In fact, he'll give us power not to yield to the lust of the flesh if we walk in the Spirit. Somebody ought to be excited and say hallelujah. I got good news for you. You don't have to be barren anymore. You can bear good fruit. If you believe that, stand to your feet, lift both hands in the air, and let's praise Him together. Lord, I pray. I hope the Word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.